This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. Welcome to Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Tommy. And I'm Addie. And you're listening to Series 9, Episode 2, Survival. And let's start it off with some announcements. Our first announcement is actually a thank you because we had our most successful series launch ever. Um, And we literally could not have done it without all of you folks out there in listener land. We are just like overwhelmed and thrilled. And we hope that you loved the first episode. And we're so happy uh, that Manifest is getting such a good response. Um, Keep it up, share it with your friends and keep the, the powertrain going, man. We're so stoked. The second announcement is that um, at the end of the series, for those of you who have listened to Essential NPCs before, uh, you know that we do this thing called post-game chatter where we answer all of the listeners' questions. But uh, we wanted to remind you that if you guys have questions in the middle of the series, uh, we'll do uh, what we can to either answer them directly or uh, on air, uh, depending on the nature of the question. So if you have a question, especially about like rules or Um, how something works or why we did a thing, go ahead and send us your questions or comments on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter at Essential NPCs, or you can send it via our uh, contact form on our website, EssentialNPCs.com. And that's it for announcements. So let's move on into Words with a GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. This Words with a GM is about Series 9, Episode 1, 231 to Waypoint. In our inaugural episode of Manifest, we met our first four player characters and we learned a little bit about them last time in our introduction to the series. But since there's no rule book yet, I thought what I would be most interested to hear about is character creation. And I know that we're not going to get into like the super nitty gritty about it, but I wanted to know as the creator of the game, um, what are like the essentials of a character? What's their like main components? So as we mentioned in, in the introduction of the first episode, Manifest likes to boast a very robust and deep character creation process in which uh, in which you can create a multitude of different kinds of characters that all stand out and feel very unique from one another. But when it comes to what really builds up a, a character, you know, there's there's a lot of things that go into it. There, You have your attributes and your skills that can be different values to make you have strengths and weaknesses that set you apart from everyone else. You know, and there's a, a ton of different gear you can have. Uh, every weapon and piece of armor can be uniquely customized uh, to suit your play style. But a lot of what really makes a character feel truly unique boils down to three choices you make at character creation. Uh, We mentioned before how a character chooses a history and a path. And we talked a little bit about this cast's choice of paths. In the current iteration of the game, there are 16 different histories you can choose from and 16 different paths. Your history is where your character's story began. It's the conditions under which they were raised, things that shaped the way they see the world of Manifest. Histories give you uh, some bonuses to your attributes at the beginning of the game, help determine your starting resources, things like gear and money. And the other thing that your history determines is one of your three talent trees. 
uh, every character after character creation is locked into three different talent trees, each one with a collection of very powerful and unique abilities uh, that you can invest in as you level up. Your choice of history determines one of your three talent trees. Your character's path is the way your character is chosen to survive on Manifest. These are the core values that inform how you interact with the world around you. Paths give you a couple extra bonuses to your skill values, and as mentioned before, give you access to different advancement triggers, which are narrative ways to gain XP. And the other thing that comes with your path is a choice between two different talent trees. So once you've chosen your history and your path, your character has selected two out of three of their talent trees. The third talent tree is a la carte. It's your aptitude tree. Uh, you can choose from any of the available talent trees. And with those three decisions at character creation, you set up your character's backstory and their personality traits and where their strengths and weaknesses lie mechanically, as well as what kind of talents they can grow into as they level up. And we've already seen some of these talents come into play in the first episode. And as we continue to play, we'll see more and more of them come up. Talents can range from small little bonuses to very specific situations, all the way to game-changing abilities that make your character to really, really stand out from everyone else. And hopefully with that little glimpse at all of the different possibilities that can come with just three of the choices you make at character creation, you can kind of get a sense for, for how every single character you make in Manifest can be completely unique and tailored to the kind of experience you're looking for. And I'd love to keep rambling about it, but this is an actual play podcast and I can't just read the rules to you guys. So I'm going to go ahead and turn the attention back to the actual play from the previous episode. And Addie, I'd like to ask you what your favorite part of the last episode was. Um, that is super easy because I love playing a gunslinger and it is so much fun. I'm not even uh, the type of player who chooses like the gun character most of the time, but playing Juliet is amazing. And that all like boils down to that like first real moment of combat where she like takes her first turn in initiative and she steps out into like the vestibule and there's baddies on either side and she just casually like, bam, one guy down bam, the other guy down. And then she's like, yeah. And just like keeps moving forward. That was so cool. And it was, it was really fun to play. And, and Juliet's a blast. So like, that was super easy for me. But what was your favorite part? So it's extremely hard for me to pick just one moment, given the fact that this is the first time we're really showing manifest to the world. And we've gotten great feedback. And the whole experience of the release of episode one has been just a really big deal for me and and that could be my favorite part but uh you know if i'm sticking to the to the tried and true the central npcs uh <laughs> what part of the episode actual play was my favorite i think it was uh the fact that um once you guys all got on the train and it was like kind of a light load and there's only four of you just kind of hanging out in a train car uh that you just kind of gravitated towards each other and kind of started a picnic almost right <laughs> Juliet's like I got some whiskey you got some jerky let's have a drink let's eat and there's always been this kind of idea in my mind of drifters in manifest having like a sort of instant camaraderie with each other you know obviously there's plenty that are you know opposed to each other and uh downright violent with each other but as a general rule i think drifters kind of respect each other for choosing that lifestyle no matter the way in which they chose to follow it 
And there's always that kind of trope in uh, in westerns where like two badasses rolling into town, like kind of you know recognize each other for for how cool they are, you know, tip their hat, maybe like share a drink, go on their way, and then like way later in life, like bump into each other again and are instantly like, yeah, no, we're 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 all on the same page. We're doing this together, right? And they like go and do some cool cowboy shit or something. And that's like kind of like what a drifter is to me. And so seeing that happen like almost immediately in episode one, ah. It was my favorite moment, but that's only one episode and there's 19 more to go (laughs) (laughs) and we've talked the listener's ear off plenty today. So without further ado, let's move on in and listen to series nine, episode two, survival. Enjoy. Greetings. I'm Clayton Sawyer. You may not have heard of me, but I'm one of the best bounty hunters in the Badlands. I got a few advantages, you see. First is sugar, Maache, and even though I only found her a few years back, my best friend. She was the runner for a herd and probably couldn't keep up and was cast out, and I know how that feels. So me and her bonded, and she grew up right with me stepping in as her daddy. The second edge I got, hunting bounties, is that I'm illuminated, and my abilities granting me an advantage that most of the nastiest outlaws ever got bountied can't compete with. The thing about being illuminated is that those same abilities that give me all those powers and advantages are also unsubtle in most folk. They can understand a gun or a knife, but they can't quite figure the threat someone like me might be to them. That's why me and Suge are always moving, hunting, and on to the next bounty, leaving people behind before they can make us get. One day, me and Suge are going to pull in a big bounty, and we'll make enough to settle into our own homestead but we can be ourselves and ain't nobody gonna try to drive us away again. We'll wrestle cattle, do some farming, and live a quiet life on our own little slice of the Badlands. Howdy, folks. Name's Roy Hampton. Now I know what you're thinking. How did such a dashing young man come to be robbing you today? Well, you get to handing over your spurs, and I'll tell you what's what. I grew up in a factory town with my mamas Helen and Kate. Helen was a kind, quiet lady, kept her head down to raise me best as she could. But Mama Kate, she was the kind of woman who couldn't help but stand up for us, even when we weren't asking. In the city, there's two kinds of folks. The family, and people paying the family. And Mama Kate wasn't about to be either. Problem is, when you're standing up to a planetary crime syndicate, you and yours are liable to end up in the dirt. So when the Jimmies came to our home, my mamas held him off long enough for me to escape. After that, thieving wasn't a choice. It was survival. Now, miss, you ain't gonna get to that holdout before I lose this arrow. Just sit tight. We're almost through. See, turns out I got a knack for this life. Key is to always have the advantage. Never pick a fair fight. Second trick is to rob folks that can afford to lose it. And there ain't nobody richer than the family. There was a time I was hitting the family so hard I was taking enough spurs to live like a king. Trouble is, family ain't inclined to let robbery of that magnitude slide, hence the 800 spur bounty on my head. Now I know y'all are feeling a few spurs short, but look on the bright side. Next time you throw a fancy shindig, you can tell the story of the time you were robbed by Roy Hampton, legendary outlaw. Y'all have a nice day now. Howdy. Folks around here call me Badlands Pete. You might have heard some tales about me. About how I use a rattler as a lasso, or how I ride a ball tail cat. 
Maybe you heard the one about how I punched the peak off of the tallest mountain of Manifest. <laughs> now, I ain't saying those stories are true, but I, I ain't saying they ain't. See, when I was a youngin', my parents decided the factory town life was getting to be too much factory and not enough town. So they packed us up and headed toward the freedom of the Badlands. Not too long after we crossed into the wilds, I wandered off after a working pup, my parents up, and left me behind. It was alright, because that pup's pack only took me in. It raised me, taught me how to be a survivor, just like them. And my brother Tommy, I'm sorry, Thomas, well, he came looking for me years later. He took me back to the big city with him, cleaned me up, and reminded me how to speak, and tried to help me back into civilized life. But I reckon after 20 years in the wild, the wild's in you for good. And it kept calling me. Before long, I, I found myself headed back to where I knew was home. Now I travel the Badlands, and folks can't seem to help but tell another story about me everywhere I go. You're welcome to come along, see if I live up to the legend. Because you see, the Badlands are my home. I reckon I ain't leaving them again anytime soon. My name is Juliette Hunt, and I've been a drifter nearly my whole life. My parents were killed by bandits when I was far too young. I only survived because a gunslinger named Avery came along and rescued me. Being that I was an orphan, he took me under his wing and taught me to shoot like him. Passed on the craft like a father to a daughter. After Avery died, I drifted alone for a time until happenstance brought me to Cyrus Finch. He's loud, flashy, full of cockamamie ideas, and occasionally a criminal. And I, I ain't any of those things. We ended up drifting together a long while and gotten to mourn a few situations we never saw coming, including getting hitched. Like all drifters that live past their prime, we eventually hung up our irons, and we settled down in a nice little town in the Badlands. Now, I ain't so retired that I won't oblige somebody who's in desperate need of a bullet, and Cyrus has to sate his itch to run a grift from time to time, but by our standards, it's a quiet kind of life. For a long while, it was a pleasant life, until Cyrus up and disappeared without a word. Now... He ain't the most communicative individual, but I just got this gut feeling that something ain't right, and Avery taught me better than to ignore my gut. So I've closed up shop, took up my irons, and set out drifting again. My Cyrus is out there somewhere, and I'm gonna find him. And when I do, oh boy, he better be in need of saving. Otherwise, he's in trouble. The last time we left... Our drifters, they were aboard a high-speed rail from the factory town of San Cordero to the settlement of Waypoint. Near the end of that journey, uh, the train they were on was derailed by the Walden Brothers gang, who seemed to be intent on robbing the valuables off the train. However, upon being confronted by our very capable drifters, the Walden gang made a hasty retreat. Juliet instructed uh, the senior porter of the train, who seems to be the, uh, the only train staff remaining, to collect the passengers and uh, do a head count and get everyone in one place so that they're all safe. Clayton and Roy, you guys are in one of the first cargo cars, the one with the uh, animals and mounts, uh, with Sugar, uh, Clayton's large 
Ache, uh, what do you do? I will, real casual, like, go up to you, pat the Ache, tell it, you know, good job, sugar. And while I am there, I will retrieve my auto picker from that saddlebag. As he reaches in, I will secure my manacles onto his wrist once more. No, you don't. Do I get that auto picker before he does? Go ahead and roll Skullduggery, and Clayton, go ahead and roll Observe. Uh, my hat is an 11. 13. Ah, oh, hell. <laughs> so the handcuff comes on your wrist, and you try to uh, uh, pull the auto picker. It's, it's a little hard to, like, the auto picker's not really super concealable, uh, like, in the palm of your hand. It's, you know, it's a a device with like a handle on it. So like you try to tuck it as you do. And uh, Clayton pulls that arm down, pulls the auto picker out of your hand and handcuffs your other wrist to the manacles. uh, And you are uh, restrained again. Oh, come on, Clayton. I saved your life. You didn't really put me in manacles again. And for that, I thank you. (laughs) And as a reward, I'll pull out my flask and give him another swig. Well, I drink it. <laughs> See, now we're even. Oh, but I get it in my teeth when you try and pull it away. I drink more than you intend to give me. <laughs> and then I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a carrot out of the pack and uh, put it in my mouth and feed sugar and tell her what a good girl she is. Uh, this giant, terrifying uh, Ache nuzzles up against you. Like that's good, Shuggy Wuggy. Let's go outside now. Uh, then you guys go to rejoin with everybody? Yeah, I assume I do, unless Clayton allows me to go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> I will allow you to go outside where I'm going. <laughs> uh, you guys step out. Um, while you are in the Badlands, which is notoriously warm, hot, and arid, you are very high up in uh, in the Border Mountains, um, and it is quite frigid up here the wind is is cutting as the two of you and sugar step out you uh make your way up towards the second class uh cars where juliet and pete are with Cade, rounding together the passengers um and a quick rundown through um Cade's manifest lets you know that the only casualties of this bandit attack were uh members of the train staff that's due in part to the fact that there weren't that many passengers on this train to begin with. It was a very early morning train. There were only three first-class passengers, two of which you've met, uh, Susan Taylor and her father, Joseph Taylor. The other first-class passenger is Henry G. McDonald, uh, who is a large, well-dressed man, wide belly, bushy mustache, strapped to his mutton chops, he woefully tries to mend his, uh, his round spectacles back together. In second class, there's Andrea Domingo, who uh, Badlands Pete uh, interacted with very briefly when he burst into her cabin for cover. And also there is Francis Gibson, who Juliet and Pete passed by. He thought for a second they were bandits, but uh, uh, realized they were wrong. Um, he is a modestly... Uh, but cleanly dressed in like a, a button up and, and vest uh, and is trying to put his kind of frazzled hair back into into place. Uh, and then the final passenger is Irene Bennett, 
who is in her mid-20s and has an iron torque around her neck, which is a rigid, stiff neck ring made of metal uh, that indicates that she is an indentured servant. And she is wearing a uh, plain black dress and uh, a belt with a couple pouches on it. And then the other two survivors are the senior porter, Cade Wilson, and his younger brother, Welby Wilson. Juliet and Pete, you turn and see uh, Roy back in handcuffs being guided by Clayton, who both are walking beside a large Aache up to the side of this car where everyone is is meeting. Getting a better uh, chance to like kind of assess the damage on the train, uh, you've noticed a couple things. One is that the power on the train is completely shot. Uh, something that the power fluctuated on the pylon that allowed it to move made it so that the the train's uh, like central power core uh, overheated or fried or something. Uh, the lights aren't on, the heat and life support isn't going. The other thing you notice is that the front car, uh, which is part of the crew quarters, is hanging off of a cliff. And as are the four rear cars of the train they, and it seems like a pretty precarious position and even even kind of like standing there getting the lay of the land you hear like the creaking and moaning of this train and it doesn't feel like it's gonna like just collapse at any given moment but it does feel like the weight of those cars hanging over the cliff edge is going to drag the rest of the train off this mountainside in the near future okay yeah let's get on out of here the passengers are uh, in a bit of a panic. They are, uh, many of them are demanding answers of Cade. Cade is attempting his best to calm them down. He's like, listen, it's, it's going to be okay. In a few hours time, San Cordero will dispatch militiamen uh, and technicians to come and solve the problem. They, and they'll bring everyone back to San Cordero for safety while they try to reestablish the pylons. We just need to set up camp somewhere. They'll be here and... 10 to 15 hours. And at that, Andrea Domingo goes, 10 to 15 hours? We'll, we'll freeze up here if we wait that long. We, we, we have to get to better shelter. This, this, play, this train hardly seems sturdy. And then Joseph speaks up going, and those bandits could be coming back. They may not have gotten what they were coming after. It seems like uh, due to the brave efforts of, of, of some of us, we were able to drive them back, but, but they could return. They, they didn't get everything they wanted, and we're sitting ducks here. We, we need to go. Uh, we, we were almost to Waypoint, yes. And Kay goes, yes, yes, we were. But it, it would be a handful of days travel down the mountainside and to Waypoint. And that would be treacherous terrain with, with who knows what out there. Uh, we're better off just camping here and returning to San Cordero. And uh, Irene Bennett speaks up and goes, I, I cannot wait that long to return home. I have cargo that, if it is still here, needs to be returned to my master's. Andrea goes, and, and I need to get to Liberty City. My show opens in, in 10 days' time, and I can't be delayed any longer. I can't go back to San Cordero and arrange travel from there. And then, uh, and then basically voices start building up on top of each other, so it's hard to tell what everyone's saying. And you can see that Cade is losing control of the group. I will step to the front of the crowd and just sort of <laughs> raise my hands up. Just, uh, excuse me, everyone, people, if, I'm, if I may have your attention... <laughs> You know, quit your jabbering and listen to me now. <laughs> they continue arguing for a little bit longer, and then uh, and then you manage to like catch their attention. They see like a man, a handcuffed man, waving at them, and Henry McDonald goes, "Wait, wait, wait! Did we catch one of them?" No, no, I caught this one. Hey, quit it. <laughs> 
listen, <laughs> we're in a bad spot here. This is the top of a mountain near a side of a cliff. It's very cold. The train, I don't know if you can see, hanging off. We ain't got time for everyone to argue about what they do or don't want. If everyone here wants to live, we need to hit a waypoint now. And I know just the two Badlands guides to take us there. Clayton, Badlands Pete, if you would, and I will motion for them to uh, step up and outline their plan to get us to Waypoint. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. I usually charge for these services. Are you telling me you would let these people die out here, Clayton? My God. I say loudly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hey, Tommy. Would I know anything sort of about the area or any sort of mountain paths we could take? You can roll survival. Um, It'll be at a minus two because there's some points of reference you could use, but it's going to be a little difficult. I'll help out. But I get my plus two from experienced traveler for recalling knowledge about an aspect of nature? Uh, Yes, you would. So that's uh, going to cancel out right there. So first, Clayton, roll up your assist. Uh, This is a survival check at a minus two for you, Clayton. Well, I didn't get any hits then. Okay, uh, so uh, there's no additional modifier for you, uh, Pete. That's four hits for Badlands Pete. Uh, yeah, you kind of look around for a little bit, and everyone kind of goes quiet. Uh, Clayton kind of sits there, and he looks a little confused, and some people might be able to tell. He's like, where where the hell are we? He's trying to look for like a point. Uh, Badlands Pete, you walk to the edge of the mountain. Uh, meanwhile, um, as he's looking around... Uh, some of the passengers start to whisper each other, uh, whisper to each other, and Susan Taylor says, "Did he say Badlands, Pete? Like, like in the stories?" And uh, uh, Francis Gibson goes, "No, Badlands, <laughs> Pete is just a, a tall tale, a legend. This, this is merely a man, uh, uh, a man who may or may not be capable, but uh, not the kind of man who could drink an entire lake just to quench his thirst. That's that's unreal. <laughs> this is some drifter." Who has who has just adopted the moniker Badlands Pete due to the stories uh, as an homage, and then Badlands Pete turns around. You've kind of surveyed the uh, the area, and you are pretty sure that you can get everyone to waypoint in uh, five to six days, give or take uh, a couple hours. You'll have to go down a, a mountain path, kind of traverse some thin canyon walkways, and then um, travel through some valleys to the lower areas, the proper Badlands ground floor. And then from there, it's just a, a couple days to get to Waypoint. Yeah, folks, I uh, I know this land. Get to shit a Waypoint in uh, five, maybe six days, depending on how quick you are. It ain't easy. It's a little treacherous, but, uh, well, hell, it's survival. And Susan looks up at Francis uh, Gibson and, and goes, doesn't sound like an imposter to me, Mr. Gibson. And uh, her father kind of like nudges her and says, stop it. And uh, yeah, Kate looks to you, like kind of sizing you up, Pete. And, and Welby goes, I trust the mountain men. Uh, Welby is too young to be uh, a porter. Um, uh, he is wearing a, a porter's jacket, but you think it is one of Cade's. That's a bit big for him. Cade kind of sits there for a second. Everyone's like looking to him and he realizes for a second, everyone's waiting for him to like make a call. And, and he goes, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Mr. Pete will follow your lead. Yeah. And he says, he says, yeah. Uh, looking at Juliet. 
Yeah. So uh, everybody collect your things. Uh, we're traveling for days, so keep that in mind. I'm sure the militiamen will come pick up anything that you've left behind. So only only bring what you can carry. I will make you put things back, and I'm going to go offload everything that I can. I could use some help with that. Also, uh, we've got some animals and some maybe some vehicles, so we'll see what we can get done. And uh, I will go help Juliet offload cargo. No, you won't. <laughs> okay, it's going to be real hard for you to get that 800 spurs if we both freeze to death out here. Well, maybe if you close your mouth, you can keep some of that hot air in. <laughs> you guys watch as Clayton and <laughs> and Roy arguing start moving their way towards uh, towards the back of the train. <laughs> People start collecting their things. Uh, it takes a little while. You there's a couple like sheer gusts of wind that like almost knock people over when they're outside and more frighteningly seem to make the train creak and moan as if it's going to uh, slide down this uh, this little ledge it's on. I'm going to uh, grab Sadie, uh, my horse and uh, and any other animals that are that are here just to make sure that uh, life is preserved first and then maybe look around, see if there's a, a medical kit or um, maybe food. If you go do that, I'll go take care of the animals. Okay. Poor things. They're probably scared to half to death. That sounds good to me. So I guess I'll 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 get what I can from like the interior blankets and medical kit supplies, food, things like that. Sure. You're not the only person uh looking around in there. Uh Clayton, you um uh in addition to Juliet's horse, uh there are two other horses. And uh, Roy's motorcycle is also in the cargo. And with uh, Cade kind of helping you out, Juliet, as well as other people like collecting what cargo they, they have back there, um, you guys are able to like get food and, and clothes and stuff for the trip. And uh, you, have to, you have to argue with a, a couple people, Juliet, as uh, they, they maybe try to grab a few uh, too many things. One is, is uh, Francis Gibson. You see him packing like a telescope and a couple other things into a bag that you might think he should be packing clothes and food into. Um, he also like put some slates and, uh, and a couple like, uh, tripods and other things in there. Uh, sir. Uh, yes. Are you certain that that's something that you want to bring on a six day hike? I don't want to be going on a six day hike at all, but I certainly don't want to leave these items behind. Uh, not only are they, valuable they are necessary for the schoolhouse i am supposed to be taking over in copper hollow and i don't want to show up there empty-handed the students deserve better than that my question is uh you being a logician and everything are these things more likely retrievable if you take them and put them on, on the cliffside where the militia will find it or uh as i make you put things on the side of the path as your pack gets too heavy for you over the next six days. Cause nobody carrying your pack for you. Uh, go ahead and roll manipulate. I have an eight. He has a three. That is three net hits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he goes, I, I don't think it will be that much trouble. And he tries to lift up the pack and like one of the like class wasn't fastened and it like almost pops open and the telescope almost falls out and he like kind of fumbles with it for a second. And then he stops like kind of like seeming to like see what he's doing and see himself. 
And he looks up at you and goes, perhaps it would be more secure if the militia handled it and shipped it ahead. You are correct, I believe. Okay. It looks like you've been shot. I- I'm sure you-, you are aware, but shouldn't you have that looked at? Yes. Well, I'm not a doctor per se, but I, I did go to the Markham's Landing University and I've had to take a couple courses and this, this train should have a, a, a first aid kit. Perhaps I can, I can help you. I would be much obliged. Uh, let's go find uh, Mr. Wilson then. Uh, you go up towards the front of the train where Cade is uh, bundling up Welby and collecting some of his things. Francis uh, stops in and goes, uh, Mr. Wilson. And, and Cade doesn't respond at first. And he goes, Mr. Wilson? Oh, uh, you can just call me Cade. Is there a, a med kit uh, uh, on the train or, or was it damaged in the fight? And Cade lights up and goes, oh, the, the med kit. Oh, that's a really good idea. We should grab that. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, he rushes down the hall and the crew quarters and grabs, uh, grabs the med kit and comes back. Uh, and Francis will take a look at your wounds there, uh, Juliet. Can I help attempt to? Uh, yeah, it's going to be a minus two for operating on yourself. I roll three dice. Couldn't hurt, right? Two hits. Uh, so he heals your class two injury and your class one injury. Well, uh, I rightly feel better. Thank you very much. Uh, he like wipes some sweat from his brow and goes, ah, yes. And he kind of looks at his like bloodied hands and doesn't really have anything for a second to do with them. And then kind of reaches into like his, his like back pocket and like daintily pulls out like a handkerchief and starts wiping his hands. Why don't you uh, go pack up the things that you want to leave here and, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll move them on out for you. Okay. He nods at that. And uh, in short order, everyone gets uh, all their things collected and ready to go out. Uh, we leave everything we can uh, that's in the train that's of use, I guess, in like a big pile. <laughs> Cover it with like a, a tarp or something. Yeah, uh, Cade, Cade sees to that and also uh, leaves a uh, a data pad with like the information on like what happened since he can't store it on the log of the train. Uh, he leaves it for the militia to find. To find. Hey, uh, before we get going on this hike, is, does anyone here have medical experience? I got this arrow that is straight through my calf, and it is not great. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a slight pause, and then uh, Francis Gibson goes, oh, 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 me, me, I do. <laughs> okay, hey, great. Would you mind taking a look at this? I hold my leg out with the barbed arrow that has gone all the way through my calf. <laughs> He goes, <laughs> and like recoils at it. Yeah. Imagine how it feels to me. <laughs> and he goes, uh, right. Um, and he realizes he still has like the med kit on him and he's like, ah, and then he eyeball, he, eye like you see him visibly eye your handcuffs and then he looks to Clayton. I nod. Okay. It's all right, Francis. I'll uh, give you a hand. All right, then he seems a little more comfortable with Juliet at his side. One, one hit. And uh, he manages to extricate the barbed arrow from your leg without causing excessive bleeding. Oh, hey, how about that, Doc? That's that's just real great. Appreciate it. I go to shake his hand. I'm still handcuffed. <laughs> uh, he almost recoils and then thinks better of it and looks at you and goes, uh, I, I'm not a doctor. I'm, I'm just a, a, a teacher. And he uh, shakes your hand awkwardly. Hey, you pulled a barbed arrow out of my leg. That's a doctor in my book. 
<laughs> Everybody getting ready? Let's move out. Uh, Badlands, Pete, you look over this crowd. Uh, there's three very capable-looking people, one of which is handcuffed, uh, <laughs> meeting your eye. Susan Taylor is uh, looks far too happy to be there. She's uh, bundled up in a very, uh, a very fine, thick fur coat. Her father seems to be trying to tell her to have some decency and stop looking so happy about this adventure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Francis Gibson is nervous and cannot meet your eye. Uh, Henry McDonald, uh, you just look at like him. He doesn't look like he does very much, uh, does a whole lot of physical activity. He, he looks pretty out of place. Um, he's definitely not bundled up enough. Irene, uh, uh, Irene Bennett seems resolved looking at you, but, but seems out of her element for sure. And, uh, Andrea Domingo looks, looks great, but also like, you know, not wearing practical shoes. You don't think she probably packed that many practical shoes, uh, she's a, she is through and through a, 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 a city dweller and, uh, definitely like hasn't, hasn't had to like get her hands dirty. Cade Wilson sits there with his hand on the shoulder of his little brother, Welby. Um, they're both bundled up in, uh, militia issue, uh, jackets. Welby is too small for his. And, um, and they all look to you, Badlands Pete. Uh, actually, just before I get up to the front, I, I, I pass by uh, Clayton and Roy, and I uh, I sort of tap the the manacles and I say, uh, "You might want to think about those." They uh, not a lot of people tell you this, but at least half a hiking is having your hands available to you. So, uh, just a thought. And then I keep walking to the front. I, uh, I look out at this ragtag crew of. Two other capable people, one other capable person in manacles, and a bunch of people who don't look like they spend a day outside. Sort of give a real big sigh and say, all right, walk where I walk, do what I do, listen to what I say. We might make it out alive. All right. I start walking. Uh, after listening to Badlands Pete make a good point, I turn to Roy, don't try anything stupid, and I'll take the cuffs off. Clayton, look at me. Do I look like the outdoorsy type? <laughs> I just grunt and put my manacles back. Uh, hey, Pete, is this path safe enough for like the horses to have a, a little bit of stuff on them by any chance? I was uh, I was just thinking about asking Tommy that. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, Pete. Um, it as long as they're not overburdened. Uh, they probably could. You actually think that it might be wise for a couple of the passengers, if they're capable of riding a horse, uh, to possibly like be on horseback, at least for a little while. It's going to be a little bit before you get to the ledge you know you're going to have to cross, where everyone's going to have to be like kind of single file, and maybe maybe you wouldn't want the horses to have uh, passengers on them there. And ov- obviously, the motorcycle can easily handle all this terrain we're about to go on, so I can bring it. <laughs> you you can bring it. Uh, it's It's not super great terrain for it but like you know if you have like the engine going and and uh and are just kind of like adding some throttle right like it can make it through most of the terrain it's just like you're not going to be cycling around like zipping all over the place but you're not going to be moving any slower than the people who are walking so um i'm gonna get the the baby uh up on uh sadie with me are you talking about welby yeah He's not a baby. He's like eight years old. Yeah, anybody under 10 is a baby. <laughs> Come on now. 
She's real friendly. Yeah, no one wants uh. to ride the Ache. <laughs> oh, wait, no, sorry. One person wants to ride the Ache, it's but Susan, her father right? won't let her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's just a big old sweetheart. I saw her kill a man. You see, Dad? She's just a big old sweetheart. Ripped him to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> if invited to do so, um, Andrea Domingo will ride a horse. She goes, oh, I, I know how to ride a horse. Uh, I had to do an entire performance on stage on a horse once. And so she climbs up and uh, uh, Henry McDonald will also gladly uh, climb up onto a horse. The stronger of the of the two. <laughs> it's been a while since uh, since I gone on a proper hike. I think I could use the assistance of this old girl here. And he pats the horse's neck. So as you guys begin making your journey to at least somewhere safe to set up camp for the night, um, it is going to be either a survival, endure, or athletics roll. And uh, due to the the altitude and the cold, uh, this will be at a minus two. I got one hit on endure. Five hits on athletics. I got three hits on endure. Two hits on survival. Uh, those of you who got one hit, uh, you take eight fatigue damage. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I am unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Shug, looks like you got a passenger after all. <laughs> Uh, those of you who got two hits, you take six fatigue damage. Those of you who got three hits, it's four fatigue damage. Four hits is two fatigue damage, and five hits is no fatigue. Uh, so yeah, the the cold and the uh, strenuous act of like trying to keep his motorcycle going uh, starts to wear um, Roy out to the point where uh, he's lagging behind, falling behind. Um, and eventually like the motorcycle kind of tips over and he just ha- seems to have trouble like standing himself back up. Uh, as I, as like sort of the blackness closes around me, I like call out maybe barely more than a whisper. Clayton, Clayton 400 Spurs is going down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch, you better not. <laughs> and so you, uh, you pick him up and you drape him over, uh, over sugar and, um, uh, he kind of uh, falls unconscious there. Um, you're able to like strap the motorcycle on like a sled behind Sugar, and she's just dragging a motorcycle behind <laughs> her. <laughs> uh, and after that first night, the smile is gone from Susan Taylor's face. She's not having fun anymore. Badlands Pete, you get you get everyone like down a, a decent way down the mountain, uh, down like a, a a path you know is relatively easier to traverse than other parts of this mountain. Um, and you get everyone kind of into like a, into a shallow cave and you're able to like start up a fire with your, uh, survival kit. And, um, you look around and that ragtag group of people, they look worn thin. Francis is, uh, uh, like gasping for air, uh, uh, trying to like rub heat into his like legs and arms, uh, and, and like, he looks like dizzy, like he's going to faint any moment now. Uh, those that were on the horses, um, they're cold, uncomfortable, but you know, definitely not anywhere near as, as worn out as everyone else is. Um, but everyone, you are able to set up camp for the night. 
Tomorrow we have people uh, switch shifts on horses and... Uh, and maybe that she's not so scary now, huh? <laughs> yeah, she's a good girl. Thank you. How long you had her? Oh, about three years now. She's still pretty young. Yeah, she looks like she can uh, hold her own, though. I'll like, tell you some stories when we're not around all the other folk. <laughs> sure, I bet I got some uh, some similar ones. I, I I used to ride a ball tail around. I, I heard I've heard that actually. A lot, lot to be hearing out about old Badlands Pete, it seems. As everyone's getting settled in, uh, Joseph Taylor uh, steps away from Susan for a moment and uh, walks up and goes, uh, so what kind of um, watch are we thinking? Uh, he seems fresher than anyone else. Uh, he, he's worn a little bit, but like he's standing, he's strong, maybe you know a little fatigued, but not heavily so. And uh, he looks to uh, you... Badlands Pete and says, what kind of um, watch are we thinking? We we need to at least rotate, make sure those bandits don't come back, yes? Well, uh, I don't know if they'd want to make their way all the way down into this mountain just for us, but uh, I mean, a watch ain't a bad idea. Uh, you look pretty fresh. Why don't you take first, and I'll go ahead and take second when you're when you're through. Who else do we think? So, so I start like, looking around for who, uh, for who sort of looks fresh or like they'd be able to go. Sugar and I can take a shift. Uh, and then we just need a fourth, I guess. We can do four two-hour shifts. I can always take watch. I'm an early riser anyway. That seems to satisfy Joseph Taylor a little bit. And he nods and goes, all right. Yeah, uh, rest up. Uh, thank you. Uh, Pete, yes? Mm-hmm. He reaches out a hand to shake your hand. Sure thing. He and, shakes. Uh, then he kind of leans in and he goes, between you and me. Badland Pete's just a story, right? You're telling a lot of stories. But, uh, real question is, how many of them are true? And you kind of, like, <laughs> back up and, and walk away from him, and he, he kind of looks and he's, like, trying to figure you out, but doesn't seem able to, and, like, kind of shakes it out of his head and uh, gets in position to, uh, to do watch. Uh, meanwhile, with the survival kit, you guys are able to heat up some food and some, like, uh, some more water. Uh, Francis Gibson has uh, had some tea leaves. He's able to like kind of uh, everyone's able to have like some warm tea to kind of like help like keep themselves warm. Uh, it's not necessarily frigid in this cave, um, but you know the wind does get in there and uh, the fire is helpful, but not it's not totally comfortable. But uh, the night does pass without uh, much uh, event. You know everyone rests, wakes up, rests, wake up. Uh, for the watches, um, all of you who are on watch seems kind of quiet, howling wind. Um, and then as the day comes around, the wind kind of dies down just a little bit. Uh, and the, the sky is a little bit clearer. Uh, it's still cold, but you know the, the real problem was the wind chill, um, which today seems a little less. And if you rested, you regained hit points. Uh, I was wondering if while I was on watch, since I assume I took the last one, which is now morning, uh, if I could have used a machinery cube to, to patch up some of my armor. I don't have an Omni tool, but uh, but I do have a machinery cube. That's fine. You don't need an Omni tool to repair uh, your armor. So go ahead and uh, roll machinery. Uh, your armor will auto repair three armor points. Um, and then however many hits you get will add to the amount that is repaired with this machinery cube. 
Uh, I rolled two hits, so that's a total of five. Cool. Yep. Uh, so that's one more than I needed. The next day comes, and uh, Badlands Pete, you take the lead. Mm-hmm. And uh, Francis Gibson climbs aboard, uh, climbs on top of a horse. Henry McDonald begrudgingly gets off his horse. He's like, well, I, I, I'm just saying, I, I, I have, uh, I have a condition with my knees, and and uh, I, I think, I think I should stay on a horse. Oh, yeah. Hey, I got this condition where it feels like I froze to death yesterday, so I'm going to hop up on the Ache if that's cool with everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure she's got plenty of room. Hey, yeah, everyone's welcome up aboard the Ache, as long as I'm also up there. (laughs) After some crosswords between uh, her and her father, Susan says, I'll join you up there, Mr. Hampton. And, um... Joseph Taylor gives Clayton like a like a look, like a, a stern look as uh, as he helps his daughter up there. And then he walks over to you, Clayton, and goes, you keep an eye on him. I keep an eye on her. So do what I've been doing this whole time. Gotcha. He sighs at that and goes, just worried is all. Oh, don't worry. She's. Unless you piss her off, but I wouldn't worry about that. It's not about the arch, eh? That man was in handcuffs two days ago. These bandits hit. Who's to say they're not working together? I wouldn't worry about him. He mostly runs his mouth. Can I hear any of this? It's it's hushed tones. He like kind of pulls Clayton <laughs> to the side, but you can try. It's a minus three due to like him trying to conceal it from you and everything. Um, but also you're at a, an additional minus two because as soon as she gets up there, Susan starts talking to you. Cool. I got two hits. Yeah, you catch most of it at least. Not maybe not all of it, but most of it. Uh I will like respond to Susan until there's a moment where I can like pause her briefly and I'll call out, Hey, that was the Walden Brothers gang. I ain't ever run with the crew. I'm legendary outlaw Roy Hampton and I run solo. I'm sorry, Susan, you were saying <laughs> <laughs> She smiles at that and kind of like uh, she like she's not handsy per se, but she does like hold on to you during the ride. That's great. I'm very cold. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty helpful. <laughs> <laughs> As you guys are getting ready, uh, you do notice Francis Gibson uh, agree with uh, with Mr. McDonald. Uh, he goes, y- you're right. I'll be fine. You you stay you stay on the horse. It's for the best. Uh, sorry to interrupt here. Mr. McDonald, is that right? Yes. All right. So here's the thing. All things being equal and the fact that uh, uh, Mr. Gibson here is uh, is our only medical professional, uh, giving him a rest would behoove all of us. Uh, so I suggest you hop on down here and uh, walk with me while, uh, while we give uh, Mr. Gibson here a little bit of a break. I would... Love to help Francis out, but when at what point does age come into consideration? I'm an elderly man. I don't. I don't have the heart I used to. I, I'm not sure I can make it. Uh, and how long have you had this heart condition? The I don't have a heart condition. I'm just. It's just old age. Is all I'm saying. Uh, I, I used to be able to to hike with the best of them. I used to love uh, love the outdoors, but it's been quite a while. I see, I see. So what you're saying is that you've lost your touch. Uh, yeah, go ahead and roll manipulate. <laughs> I have a 10. 
Ah, his highest is a five. How many net hits is that? Just just one. I rolled a two, a three, and a ten. Well, I I, I wouldn't say I'm embarrassed. No, I just I'm trying to be rational here. I'm I'm looking after my own health. Uh, uh, the man knows a thing or two about medicine. He he can understand that. And he goes, but as you said, he, he is our the only man here who can tend to the wounded, and that is an important thing. So uh, how how about this, Francis? Uh, we can take turns on the on the horse. Uh, uh, part part of the days for you, you can start, and then uh, and then I'll come on for the later part of the day. How's that? Does that seem fair to you? And he says both to kind of Francis and to you, Juliet. Uh, yeah, we can reevaluate the midday meal. That's fine by me. And I give him a nice smile. So nice. He goes, all right then. Well, Francis, uh, she's all yours. And he climbs off the horse. Uh, and Francis kind of nods a thank you to you, Juliet, as he climbs up on the horse uh, a little wearily. And uh, you guys set out for the uh, next uh, for the next day. The conditions are a little bit better. Um, and uh, the further and further down you get on the mountain, the less frigid and cold the air is, the, the more the sun warms you up, uh, that sort of thing. I'm going to need everyone who's not on a mount to roll uh, survival, endure, or athletics to resist fatigue. And there's no modifier. So what did everyone get? I got two successes. I got six. Three hits. Anyone who got two hits takes four fatigue damage. Anyone who got three hits takes two fatigue damage. And anyone who got four or, I don't know, six uh, <laughs> gets zero fatigue damage. Oh, how about that? And as you guys are making your way down, um, Badlands, Pete, you are aware that you're getting close to that kind of sheer pathway uh, that's going to be kind of difficult to traverse. And so... Um, as expected, uh, come across that. And it is, it's like a flat, sheer cliff edge uh, with a narrow kind of natural path, or at least probably natural, hard to say. Maybe uh, uh, maybe one of the mountain tribes carved this one out at some point. And uh, you get to that point, everyone's going to have to kind of get single file. Anyone who's on a mount is going to have to uh, get off of it because uh, it's going to be hard enough for, say, an Ache to squeeze through without having to also worry about like people's legs on either side of it. So everyone's going to have to kind of get in a line there. So uh, my question is, what is the marching order down this uh, uh, along this path? Provided that it looks like it would hold the weight, um, I think that it would be prudent for uh, Pete to hold the baby, like to carry carry the baby. Oh yeah, yeah. the The walkway isn't isn't um, flimsy at all. It's like it's either naturally like a, a natural ledge or carved into the side of this cliff face. It's very sturdy. It's just narrow. Uh, so Pete, you could definitely uh, carry Welby. Uh, get on my back, kid. Okay, Mister Mountain Man. And uh, he kind of rushes forward excitingly and like scrambles up like partway, but he can't get up all the way without you kind of reaching down and helping him up onto your sh- uh, up onto your shoulders. Quick question: How far down is it? The drop? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Hundreds of feet before the next like jutting rock. If could we? Would it be possible to sort of like make a like a handrail? So like like make it so there's like we we pin ropes. Uh, put it into the side and then somebody goes all the way to the other side and sort of like puts it into the rock there and then people could like scooch under it and have the rope holding them in against the 
the wall. Does that make sense? Yeah. If you guys want to do something like that, um, it would take, I think, four machinery cubes to pull it off. I got some. It probably won't help the horses and stuff much, but it'll help the people, so we can start there. I mean, if you take your two cubes and uh, affix stuff over here, I'll take two of mine and, and get it over there. That that sounds good. Uh, so yeah, um, there's no test involved in that. Uh, Badlands Pete, as you're as like Juliet comes up with that idea, uh, Welby refuses to get off your back. He goes, "No, I'm here now. <laughs> take me to the other side, Mountain Man." <laughs> sure. <laughs> As uh, as the, you guys are beginning to set this up, like uh, hammering in pythons and attaching ropes, anyone who's not working on that, so any, uh, basically not Badlands Pete and not Juliet, um, can roll an observe test at a minus two. Uh, let me let me know if any of you beat a nine. I will uh, spend some grit to go it strong and shake off this frostbite momentarily in my ear region. And how many hits does that get you? Uh, that is three net hits over a nine. And uh, for you, uh, Clayton, how many net hits over nine? Just one. Okay. As they're getting ready and they're like uh, hammering in these pythons and moving the rope along, uh, it, it's kind of a concave path. So you guys can see Badlands Pete on the other side, like kind of like shuffling and hammering in nails with Welby on his back and shuffling and hammering in nails with Welby on his back. And um, Susan is uh, talking to you a little bit, Roy, uh, talking about... You know, I've never, I've never uh, been up in the mountains before. Uh, I, I'm from the garden, you see, and, and uh, the most we have are the Glenspire Hills. That's the, the highest, uh, the highest terrain uh, I've ever been on. So this is a whole new experience for me. Is this kind of standard fare for you? I mean, you strike me as a, a clean cut, uh, a clean cut city boy, if I'm being honest. Well, you know, uh, I ain't really the outdoorsy type, but I'm pretty good with heights. You know, in my line of work, you find yourself in a lot of sort of. <laughs> Up there places. Uh, but yeah, no, this is a bit out of my wheelhouse. You, you, you got me pegged there. Uh, and you, you say that and you're talking about heights and you just kind of glance up the, uh, uh, the <laughs> cliff face as you do. And you see like rubble, like kind of like not like big rocks, but like you, you notice like a couple pebbles like falling down from up there. And you're a little confused by that, so you look up to the top, and it's it's you know it's kind of up there, and the sun's up there, and you're you're not really seeing anything, but like you're pretty sure something's up there. Hey, you know, Susan, that's that's a real interesting thing you just said. If you could just step over here with me for uh, a minute, hey Pete, anything live on top of mountains and throw rocks down? As you shout that out, Clayton, you hear that, and you're a little confused by that, and you glance up, um, and having your attention drawn to the top. You kind of sit there for a second. It just looks like rocks and stuff up there at the at the top of this cliff edge. Um, and then you see one of the rocks extend one leg out to grab a new hand, a new foothold, and then drag its body over, kind of making its way along the top of this concave cliff edge to make to end above where Badlands Pete is. Uh, and if you could go ahead and roll a survival check for me, Clayton. Two hits. You uh, you see this thing. You see it like kind of move one of two leg, like two claw like hook legs, like kind of reach over, grab a grab a, a foothold, and drag the body over. And it's almost directly above Pete at this point. Pete, like you kind of hear that, but like you didn't quite catch exactly what he said. You heard like you heard like rock thing, a creature something, and you, like you kind of turn because uh, Welby's kind of talking in your ear. 
and and you kind of turn to like look and you see Clayton look up and Clayton you realize that this is a slide rock bolter uh which is an appendageless leviathan save for its two claw-like hooks on its back side that grapples it to the tops of steep slopes and it waits for creatures to go underneath it uh and then it slides down um and consumes them on the journey down Ugh. slide rock bolter right above you uh, that one cuts through pete you hear that uh and you look up and you see uh a large uh uh slide rock bolter getting into position above you uh it looks like a rock to the untrained eye, but you can see the seams that are its giant tooth-filled mouth waiting to open up, and I'm going to need you to roll a dodge test to get out of the way. Oh, shit. Uh, my highest is an eight. Nah. Well, I got a 12. <laughs> uh, so you look up, you see this thing, and you let go of the pythons and rope that you're dealing with, and you dive to the to the side. Um, Welby shouts, and everyone screams because not everyone's really caught up to speed with what's going on. They just see you leap to the side, uh, uh, right, like on this very narrow path. Uh, and, everyone, and you have like this kid on your back. So everyone's freaking out. Uh, and just as you do, uh, the, the slide rock bolter uh, unhooks its, uh, its back legs and comes careening down the slope of this, uh, of this cliff. Its front end opens up into like this, this, ra- uh, this mouth full of like razor sharp, sharp stony teeth. And it slams into the uh, path that you right where you just were taking just a mouthful of rock and dirt instead of you and Welby. And then it slides down uh, uh, thumping with a loud thud hundreds of feet below on that jutting out rock. Oh, all right. Welby, I'm going to need you to sit over there. I'm going to need you to be very quiet. Y'all see any more from uh, from that side? And I'm I'm looking up to see you know if there's more coming. Everyone can look up at the cliff top uh, and roll an observe test. Just let me know what your highest is. Three. Got an eleven. I got a five. Layton got a three. Uh, looking around, um, uh, <laughs> the other passengers from the train are looking, and and uh, a couple of them shaken by what just happened. Irene Bennett goes, "What am I supposed to be looking for?" Uh, and Andrea goes, a boulder of some kind? I don't know. And uh, Henry McDonald goes, no, it's a slide rock boulder. It's a, it's a creature like a rock, and it slides down and, and eats travelers. Uh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't see any. And, and uh, everyone else is kind of looking. Um, and uh, no one seems to see any, including you, Pete. All right. Um, everybody uh, come through rather quickly. I've, I've, do I have it all set up? Uh, yes, but looking along the path, you do see that this slide rock bolter did take a chunk out of this path. It's about a 10 to 15 foot gap separating you from the other side of this pathway. I got this, everyone. And I pull out my retractable ladder and footbridge, set it up, and it extends across the gap. Yeah, uh, Clayton steps up. Uh, moves moves along uh, the ridge. Uh, people are starting to get a little worried. They're like, "We can't. We have to find another path. What are we going to do? You know, I can't jump that. This is absurd." And then uh, uh, Clayton pulls out something that kind of looks like two map tubes uh, pressed together, and he uh, he turns it and lays it on the edge where the path is broken, and pops out a handle on the side of one of the tubes and starts cranking it, and the other tube extends out from where Clayton is uh, 
all the way out, uh, creating a footbridge that reaches all the way to where you are, Pete, and you're able to kind of like guide it in and it uh, little mag locks uh, and hooks latch onto the edge. And there's a little satisfying like zhunk, as the footbridge uh, kind of secures itself. And uh, yeah, Clayton, you know that this is safe to traverse. And I lead by example and cross the footbridge. And with the footbridge, it's relatively easy for anyone to get across. They they can hold on to the ropes all the way all the way to the footbridge and walk along the footbridge, still holding on to the ropes and pythons. Uh, it's not even going to require a test from anyone. The horses are a little skittish, but um, sugar kind of herds them, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> making them kind of go across. Uh, and then I'll be, uh, I guess, the last one over. Sure. Uh, collecting that rope and stuff on my way. Yeah. You can put in your inventory uh, climbing pythons and rope. Uh, you guys can continue down. Uh, the path gets easier. Um, you know, you stop for uh, a midday meal and um, Henry McDonald gets ready to take the horse from Francis. Oh, Mr. McDonald, I was so impressed by your vigor. I, I, I cannot believe your, your physical prowess. Uh, that is, that was impressive, sir. Uh, go ahead and roll manipulate <laughs> at a minus two because he is quite tired and winded. <laughs> yeah, it's an eight. Well, his highest is merely a two. Uh, that's still only one net hit, though. So uh, I rolled three ones and an eight. <laughs> uh, so he kind of looks at that and kind of brushes himself off a little bit. He goes, well, I, I mean... Like I said, this uh, this used to be my element, uh, uh, and I suppose uh, in my old age I haven't lost all of my gusto. Uh, you know what, Francis? You stay up there for you stay up there for the rest of the day, and I'll take the horse tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, and you make it to the next camp, um, and then the the journey is getting easier and easier as you go. Uh, you're not going to need to roll to resist fatigue damage for the next couple days. Um, as you continue to descend the mountain led, uh, by Badlands Pete, it is uncanny watching him. Like he, it's like, he's walking a path that he, he's walked a bunch, right? He's like, let me take a left here. We go down here. We do this. It's like, he's not even stopping to like reorient himself. He knows the way. So, uh, for the next few days, since the journey is less treacherous and requires less, uh, deliberate attention, everyone can kind of relax a little bit. And, uh, and people start getting a lot, uh, getting to uh, you know chatting and talking along the path. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and uh, shoot the shit. Um, so everyone needs to pick another character and roll personality as an attribute only test uh, to see if they learn anything about that person, get to know them better, get along with them better, or if they end up ruffling each other's feathers. I will pick Clayton to shoot the shit. I'll I'll uh, go ahead and pick uh, uh, Pete. Uh, I'm going to pick, um, Clayton. I'll, uh, I'll pick Mr. McDonald. All right. Uh, so everyone go ahead and roll. Okay. Who would like to go first? I got zero hits. Ah, okay. So, uh, something goes wrong between you and, uh, Mr. McDonald. Uh, it involves uh, an at sheep patty. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so Mr. McDonald, uh, having, Given the horse uh, to Francis is walking on foot um, and he's walking along alongside you, Clayton. He kind of sidles up to you 
And uh, he's like, ah, yes, uh, you know, you remind me of me when I was younger. I'm a prospector, you see, but uh, things have gone quite well, so it's been a, a while since I've been hands-on, you, you understand. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, a few words, man, a few words. Yes, I, I understand. Uh, hey, uh, watch out for... I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what? And he uh, takes a couple oh. steps more and, and steps right into uh, a freshly laid uh, patty from sugar and just squelches under his foot, and he looks down and looks up. He looks at you and he goes, Ugh. though, of course, I'd never travel with such a brutish beast like this. Anache? Ugh. She's the sweetest. Don't listen to him, girl. I'm going to I'm going to get a carrot out of the saddlebag and glare at him as a as a feeder. He kind of glares back at you and shakes the shakes the dung off his uh, off his shoe and kind of tries to ripe, wipe it on a rock. And he goes, just saying they're. They're messy, they're loud, and and destructive. Uh, hardly a work animal. I'm just going to ignore him at that point. I don't believe a word he says. It'd be a shame if there was an accident. A different accident. <laughs> <laughs> so, who wants to go next? I'll go. Uh, who did you pick? I picked Clayton. How many hits did you get? I got two. Ah, so Clayton, you get to learn something about Badlands Peak. So Clayton, you you kind of get on the front side of Sugar, walking a, a little ways ahead of her against your better judgment, leaving Roy uh, a little less observed with Susan, and you walk up towards Badlands, Pete, at the front end of the group. Gotta say, Pete, I thought all those stories about you were just well, that stories, but uh, I'd almost believe them at this point. You're a hell of a mountain man, you know that. Welby on the back of Badlands Pete goes, he's my favorite mountain man. Oh, you're still up there. I'd forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you kindly, Clayton. I, oh, I appreciate it. How'd you learn to navigate like this? Well, I had to. If I didn't know my way around this land, well, well shit, I'd be long dead. It seems like a lot of these folks would be long dead at this point if it weren't for you. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, well, we'll see how, how they do for the rest of it, but, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the thing about it is the, the Warwick and the, they know their way all up and down these paths, and they're, they're the ones who showed me. Like, I, I travel like this because of them. The weird thing is, Pete, you might just be telling the truth. Well, I'll let you, I'll let you in on a little secret. You want to know how I got this belt buckle? And I, I point to the buckle that's uh, head of a howling warrican. How's that? I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Clayton lets out a hearty laugh, and uh, they continue down the trail. Who wants to go next? Uh, I can go. Uh, I got two hits, and I picked Pete. So, Pete, what do you want to know? Uh, so, yeah, I think Pete... Uh, Pete and Juliet just sort of like end up walking next to each other for one like easier part of the trail where he's not insisting on being well ahead and like picking through the path. Hey, you're a, uh, you're a demon and a half with those things, ain't you? And he nods to the, to the pistols on your belt. These ain't even my good ones, but, uh, yeah. (laughs) They ain't even your, well, what happened to your good ones? Uh, well, that's kind of what I've been trying to figure out they were uh they were in the 
back of my husband's van when he and the van disappeared, uh, which is why I'm out here I'm looking for him. And, th- and that's how I know he didn't just like up and leave before you get all snarky about it. Is that he would have left those guns? Because uh, if he left me and he took the guns, he knows that I'm coming for him. So, <laughs> well, it sounds like you're coming for him either way. Yeah, but one way he's going to be happy to see me. The other way he's not <laughs> going to be happy to see me. I don't know. Well, I uh, hope he gets that gets a happy feeling. Hope you both do. Thank you kindly. So do I. And uh, during this part of the trip, uh, Clayton has moved back towards Sugar. Uh, given given her a couple carrots. Uh, and this is a point where Susan has actually hopped off of uh, Sugar. She's currently walking alongside uh, Andrea Domingo, uh, talking to her about her acting career. Well, hell, if Susan ain't on the Ache, I ain't got no reason to be up here now. And <laughs> 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 uh, I'll hop down and uh, walk next to Clayton. So, uh... You're a bounty hunter, right? You uh, you find people, you bring them back to places for uh, for spurs, yeah? Yeah. I'm glad you're able to put those together. You know what? Just let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here, here's a question I got for you, Clayton. You fancy yourself a man of honor, or are you just in it for the cash? No judgment for me either way. Just for the cash. Well, see, here's the thing. I've seen the way you act around this Aache. I've seen the way you act around them horses. I reckon there's kind of a softer side to you. Maybe you think you're a man in it just for the cash, but uh, I think there's a heart in there. Oh, yeah. We're sugar here, for sure. <laughs> and so uh, you, you'd probably have a problem with folks that's uh, mistreating animals, yeah? Of course. Well, all, all I'm saying is, you're about to take me back to a factory town, collect a bounty posted by the family... Paid for with spurs that they have earned, exploiting all sorts of people, including innocent, just so innocent and and helpless animals. Clayton, you that that gives you pause for a second. You know the family exists. It's not like they're a myth or anything, but you know they're pretty high profile, organized crime, uh, underground market of illicit goods and smuggling. I mean, you don't know a whole lot about their operations, but it's not super far-fetched to think that they probably do smuggle animals from time to time. And so if Roy uh, is telling the truth about the fact that his bounty is posted by the family, that gives you just a little bit of a pause. I just hope you would consider that as we continue on our journey. Oh, uh, a while back, you dropped this, and I will give him back his knife. (laughs) Thanks. And I put it, I'm still thinking about the family, so I just kind of, without thinking, just put put it back in my sheath. You've been messing with the family pretty hard, right? Why do you think they put 800 spurs on my head for my capture, Clayton? That's a lot of money. I hand him a, I hand him a carrot. (laughs) Oh, to to feed two sugar. Oh, Oh, I'm about to eat the carrot when you mention that. (laughs) (laughs) hey that ain't yours oh uh, i'm sorry i ain't the outdoorsy type as i feed the carrot to sugar (laughs) sugar sugar happily takes the carrot from you uh breathing hot breath out of her out of her nose uh onto your arm as she does 
and you think you're getting pretty close to the end of the, the mountain path. Pete, I mean, anyone can tell you guys are pretty close to the bottom of the mountain range at this point. But uh, uh, as you guys are setting up camp for the night, um, I want everyone to roll an observe test for me. Anyone who thinks they're keeping kind of a weather eye for, for danger, you can roll no modifier. Anyone who thinks they might be distracted, give yourself a minus two. Uh, so what did everyone get? Two hits, high six. Two hits, high 13. Uh, I got a 10. Uh, I have two hits, and uh, it's an 11 for me. All right, well, my highest is a four. So each of you in your own way, as, as the camp is kind of getting set up, you're ki- you guys are kind of in like a valley uh, with higher rocky terrain to the left and the right. Uh, Badlands, Pete, you know you have to follow this valley down and it kind of curves around and then you kinda, it, you, it opens up into the Badlands proper and you've reached the bottom of like the mountain range and the mountainous mm-hmm. terrain, it like levels out here. And the, as the sun is like finishing setting and you guys are setting up camp, uh, you know, by the light of uh, by the light of manifests to moons and asteroid belt, perhaps, or maybe before the sun's fully set, each of you at one point notices movement in the uh, rocky terrain above you. Uh, did anyone get two or more net hits over a four? I did. Clayton did. I got two net hits. Okay. Um, so you notice movement, Pete, but you don't know exactly what it is. You think it's an animal. It actually doesn't concern you too much. Um, and the rest of you, you kind of notice it and you mark it and you kind of like try to get a better glimpse next time you see it. And um, you're pretty sure there are creatures up there, not like so large as an ache or, or even quite as tall as a horse, much lower to the ground, but still large, intimidating creatures. So uh, Clayton... Um, with your history and survival, you're pretty sure you saw the outline of a ball tail cat, which is a large predatory, uh, feline similar to like, uh, an oversized cougar, um, except for its, uh, tail, uh, is calcified into a mace like stony ball at the end, uh, often with like natural kind of spikes. Oh, hell. Hey, Pete. Mm hmm. Look like a ball tail cougar. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Pete is unfazed. <laughs> uh, actually, actually, uh, Pete, go ahead and roll a survival for knowing more about ball tail cats. Yeah. I only got two hits, but my high is fifteen. Uh, so with two hits, um, uh, you know, you you're you're a little unfazed at first, and then you stop and think about it for a little bit, and you're like. If these things are lingering, if this, if if what he's telling you is what you saw earlier, which was like about an hour ago as camp was being set up, you think that the ball tail cats are going to probably stalk you guys for a while, possibly attack at night or at some point like when they think they might be able to grab one of the weakest of you and run away with them. Yeah, we got a we got us a couple of ball tails up there and they're just going to hang out until they think they can attack us. So, uh, well, let's go up and get them first. Agreed. Probably just scare him off. Yeah, I'll go. Uh, I'll go get Juliet to come with us. See what she can do with a gun. All right. So when you mean spook, you you mean like miss on purpose and until they're like gonna try and eat me, and then and then I can shoot them. That's what you're meaning. Well, do what you gotta do. I mean, you can hurt them. You can wing them. Get one in the leg or something. Okay. I mean, whatever. Whatever seems necessary. I trust your judgment. 
You just show them you're tougher and they won't mess with you. You confront them, they lose all their spine. And uh, you're all right just leaving your uh, 800 spurs right here all by its lonesome? He ain't going to go nowhere. Aren't you, buddy? You just said there's wild animals that'll try and kill us out there. <laughs> yeah, I did. I mean, you wanna you wanna come help? I have no weaponry of any kind at this moment. Never mind. You're just fodder. <laughs> All right, let's go. So Juliet, Pete, and Clayton start heading off. Uh, Susan comes up to you, uh, Roy. Where are they going? Well, uh, you know, I spotted some dangerous critters out there, and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I I thought it I thought it was best that they uh they head out and take care of them while I stay here and just sort of keep watch over the camp, keep everyone safe. Pete agreed and uh so <laughs> So I'm just gonna she, stay here and protect everyone. <laughs> she she uh grins and uh, at that and goes, Look at you, just a few days ago you were shackled to a bounty hunter and now you're taking charge. You are quite the resourceful man, Roy Hampton, she says, kind of like tapping you on the chest with a finger. Well, I ain't a legendary outlaw for nothing. And about five minutes after they are out of sight, I go grab all of my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, You go over to, uh, to Sugar. Uh, start rummaging through Clayton's saddlebags. Uh, you get your alternate armor. You get your grab stability harness, your auto picker, uh, and possibly most importantly, you, one of your prized possessions, which is your uh, heavily modified bow and arrows. Uh, and I also uh, I, I slide the collapsible repeating crossbow, you know, into the holster at the small of my back for emergencies. Before she has a chance to keep flirting with you, Roy, uh, Susan's father comes and, and like, again, doesn't grab her, but like, like leans down, like says some stuff to her and is like, come and help me set up the tent. Quit speaking with that man. I've told you he's a dangerous outlaw. And she goes, I know. Isn't it great? (laughs) And he goes, you are trying to ruin me. (laughs) Uh, Can I I do any sort of survival check about how we might scare these things off? Uh, yeah, go ahead and roll a survival check as you guys begin moving through the night to try and like maybe approach them from the best angle or or know a thing or two about what might spook them away, that kind of thing. So uh, three hits, high 12. So you know that uh, uh, you need to give them a, a good exit, right? You need to come at them from an angle that gives them a pretty clear like escape path. Um, luckily, you know this area pretty well and you know how you might be able to like drive them away. While this may be relatively their hunting grounds, it doesn't necessarily mean like this is like where they tend to nest or sleep. Their den is probably quite a while away from here. I'm also going to use my uh, natural night vision. All right. Uh, Go ahead and roll somatics for that. Three. Juliet and Pete, uh, both of you can roll an observe test, no modifier. And with three hits, Clayton... um, that means uh, you will have uh, night vision until you take a rest. And uh, you also will have a plus one to your observe skill in the dark. Um, so not only are you able to kind of like see like normally as if like the as if the moonlight was much, much brighter than it is. But also like you kind of see like a glowing, uh, not quite a heat signature, but something akin to that around like living creatures and stuff like that. 
Um, and so it makes it a little like a little easier for you to identify things uh, than than even if you had like night vision goggles on. Uh, and then how many hits did uh, Juliet and Pete get on observe? I got two twelves. I got I got one eleven. Pete, you catch a, a glimpse of something out of the corner of your eye as you're, you're kind of in the lead and you're just kind of glancing back uh, and you get like a glint of something and you, you kind of look back and and you think maybe it was like part of Clayton's gun or something reflecting the light. You're not sure. And you it doesn't really phase you too much. You're, you're getting in position. Uh, Juliet, you distinctly see kind of this yellow glow around Clayton's eyes, like fading away. Like you kind of glance in his direction just as the light is going away. And and I know this is like, this is the, the illuminated thing. Yeah. Yeah. You've encountered uh, illuminated people quite a bit. You've, uh, you drifted for several years um, and knew quite a few powerful uh, Lou's and Lucy's. You know, sometimes their, their tells are subtle. Sometimes they're, they're mo- more overt, um, but like glowing energy around the eyes is pretty par for the course for illuminated people when they activate their powers. Um, so uh, it's absolutely not a, lo- a large leap for you to think that uh, Clayton may be illuminated. Okay. I don't think I mention it. It's something to talk about when we don't have an objective. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to need a sneaking test from uh, all three of you as you try to get in position to ambush these ball tail cats. What'd you guys get? Two hits. High three. Oh, no. <laughs> I got two hits. High seven. I got two hits. High 11. Uh, so the number to beat was nine. I rolled a high of nine. <laughs> So um, as you guys are kind of getting into position, you know you're getting close. You can kind of hear them in the darkness. Uh, Clayton, you're actually getting glimpses of them uh, because you're not relying on just the light of the moons. And uh, you hear, like, growling, and uh, you're pretty sure they caught your scent, and they're going to be moving on you right now. Uh, So if you guys are going to make your move, uh, you got to kind of rush into it before you can get in the optimal position. Mm -hmm. So... uh, yeah, really quick, um, ha- I'll have the three of you roll initiative, and we'll see uh, if the cats move before you guys do. Uh, so did anyone get better than a five? I got a six. Got a five. Five. Both got five? So it's actually uh, Juliet. Um, uh, you hear the kind of growling and uh, yipping of these ball tail cats as they begin moving in on you you can you know this the sky is relatively clear so you can kind of see uh as they like begin coming around a rock formation on you guys uh a couple on the left and a couple on the right uh looks like they're gonna bring the fight to you um and you have a moment where you can act before the cats do so uh i think i'm gonna shoot at the feet of the of the of each group and I'll, I'll yell, like, go on, get! So, yeah, go ahead and roll uh, at a minus two for called shot to shoot around them, uh, and then an additional um, minus for targeting two different groups. Uh, I have an 11. Okay. Your shots more or less land where you want. Uh, it, it definitely makes them stop their advance for a second. Uh, you're not sure it's enough uh, to stop them. They, it looks like they're going to continue to advance past those two shots. Like they jump out of the way, um, but it looks like that they're about to like try and pick up momentum and charge towards you guys. I take cover. Okay, so they rush forward at you, 
uh, Juliet. Uh, two of them do, and the other two split uh, to attack both Pete and Clayton. Uh, so I need everyone to roll dodge tests. Uh, the ones that are attacking me are rolling at a minus three, because I'm the alpha. <laughs> I also have alpha. All right, so they will be at a minus three to attack both Pete and Clayton. They're a little hesitant to strike at you. Your animal ferocity shows through. Uh, they all rolled really badly. Um, the highest anyone has to beat is a four. <laughs> did anyone get less than a four? I did not get less than a four. No, sir. All mine are double digits. Okay. Uh, so they begin to, to swing and swipe at you guys. Um, uh, missing at first. Uh, they're, they're more like kind of like batting in front of uh, Pete and Clayton as if to try and scare them away. Uh, Juliet, they come clawing after you, but... Uh, uh, you manage to like you've taken cover, so they kind of end up like scraping the rock by you. Um, I need all of, everyone to dodge again. Uh, Pete, uh, my high is an eleven. Got a twelve. Clayton, uh, my highest is a nine. Mine's ten. And uh, Juliet, my highest is a seven. I got a ten. Okay. Uh, so they swipe at you. They swipe at you, uh, and then. As you as you all manage to like pull out of the way of the of the second attack, each of them tries to whip their tail uh, around to smack you with the spiked ball at the end of it. So I need everyone to dodge one more time. Uh, Pete, my highest is a ten. Nope, got two twelves. Clayton, my highest is a nine. Ten. And finally, Juliet, my highest is a seven. I have a nine. So these. Three cats move in and start striking at all of you. Uh, Juliet, one of them, the one you kind of shot the paw nearby, is kind of circling around the outside as if trying to find a good uh, a good opportunity to jump in and pounce on you. Um, but uh, seems a little wary to actually get involved in the fight. And uh, you manage to hop over the rocks as they kind of that one kind of claws at you again, scraping and trying to climb over this rock to get at you. But you're you're just a little too slippery for it. Um, Pete, you're diving and rolling. Clayton, you're stepping back, uh, uh, barely avoiding, and the whi- the tail whip goes right over your head. Uh, and now, uh, uh, Clayton and Pete, it's you guys. I'm going to stare them down and uh, shoo them off, establish myself as the alpha. I'm going to do something similar. I want to uh, try to pin the biggest one. Uh, so for Pete, that's going to be an unarmed attack, and for... For Clayton, it will be a wrangle test. Clayton, take a minus two just because you're a bit outnumbered, and they, you know, while they're a little spooked, they're still they still think they might be able to take you got take you on. So, Pete, my highest is a twelve. I'm gonna play to the gallery to make my highest fourteen. Uh, so, Pete, you kind of duck around uh, the one that's clawing at you, and you see uh, the one going after Juliet is the biggest one. And you just kind of like sprint past the one attacking at you. Uh, it's right on your tail, and you leap forward. And uh, Juliet, just as this uh, this cat has like is scrambling over the uh, the rock to like pounce at you, it gets launched off the rock as uh, as Badlands Pete pins it to the ground. And uh, do you do anything else, Pete? Uh, or I just want to uh, subdue it and uh, sort of let it know who's who's boss. Yeah, how many net hits did you get over 12? Only got one. Uh, you can roll Wrangle um, at a plus three. And Clayton, my highest for you is 
an eight. I got an 11, and I'm going to twist the knife. Okay, so that gives you two net hits. Uh, so uh, the one charging after Pete uh, kind of like sees you and starts moving towards you to help the one that's fighting you. And uh, as it's coming at you, you just, you kind of like put up your hands, uh, you know, you don't even have like your gun in hand and it like pat, it like tries to like paw at you and you kind of like shove it back. And then the other one like kind of gets around you and you kind of like hiss at it and like stop, uh, stomp at it and like kick some dirt up in it. And they both like kind of pull back and like they, they stop it quite striking at you they like kind of paw the air in front of them like with their claws out like as if they're they're ready to fight but like you're starting to like push them back and scare them away um and then they like you know they like kind of look over and see pete uh pinning uh the largest of them and pete what did you get on wrangle got a 12 uh how many net hits over nine uh just the one so that one it's struggling against you it like kind of roars and snaps at you a little bit um juliet there's two that are are kind of being a little timid to attack Clayton. There's one that's pinned by Pete, uh, but there's also the one that's kind of circling around you, uh, thinking, looking like it might it might try to charge forward as you kind of like dust yourself off, standing up and getting a lay of the land. I, w- I will once again fire my guns twice, uh, aiming to like nick an ear or whatever, so they ain't actually hurt. Okay, are you just uh, are you aiming at the the one that's kind of like circling around you, or are you trying to shoot multiple of them? Uh, if one of them looks like they're they're trying to eat me, I will shoot at that one. Okay. Uh, so yeah, uh, go ahead and roll that. It'll be a minus two for the called shot. Uh, that is an eleven. My highest is a six. Three net hits. Uh, you level a gun and you shoot and uh, you actually clip uh, its tail, uh, breaking off uh, a little uh, a little bit of one of the spikes, and it lets out like a howl and steps back. You have another shot. I'll shoot again, but this time maybe at its feet, so it'll run away. Okay, go ahead and roll a minus two. Uh, my highest is a nine. My highest is also a nine. Uh, so, tie goes to you. Uh, it's just one. Okay, so you, you fire off another shot nearby this one's paw. It pulls that paw back, uh, lets out like a, a roar and like a hiss, and then it like kind of scurries back away from you. Meanwhile, the two that are are at, uh, that are, like, in front of Clayton, like, they're kind of batting at his hands, and he's not even, like, pulling them back anymore because they're obviously not, like, actually aiming for his arms. And he's, like, got his arms extended and is kind of, like, walking towards them, and they're, like, kind of growling but, like, bending down uh, uh, almost submissively. And uh, Pete, the one you're kind of wrestling, is, like, tries to snap at you a little bit and claw at you but, like, can't quite get the angle and uh, and so it, it now it's just trying to wrestle itself out of you. It's not even clawing or biting. Now it's like kind of contorting its body and trying to buck you off of it. Um, what do you guys do? Uh, I'd like to try to, uh, I guess, sort of toss it away from me and sort of towards like an exit to this clearing. Uh, yeah, you don't have to roll for it. It's already trying to get away, so you just kind of like release it in that way. It like whips its, and you have to duck under its tail as its tail swings above your head, and it kind of pulls back and like roars. Uh, the two that are uh, kind of batting towards um, uh, Clayton like kind of like put their ears back and like kind of like pull back, still growling and like hissing and batting a little bit. They walk around Clayton and like go to join the other one as it's like kind of pulling back, uh, kind of almost walking dejectedly. Uh, uh, looking over its shoulder, the one that uh, Juliet uh, shot at uh, is already like quick to like run around the outskirts of the fight and rejoin the rest of the pack. And they kind of like look at you guys and like 
uh, not like running away, but like looking at you and like kind of backing up and looking at you again and backing up some more and like roaring and hissing. And then they kind of, uh, after they get like a decent distance away, they kind of turn and quickly disappear into the night. Go on, get. I dust off my hands and uh, head back towards camp. Uh, all right. Uh, and you guys come walking back into the light of the campfire. A uh, couple people like watching eagerly to make sure you made it back. All right. Haven't heard like gunfire and roaring and scrapping up in the hills. Uh, and, and Clayton, uh, as you, as you walk into camp, you see standing there, uh, almost casually. Uh, I am, I'm, I'm standing like majestically on watch. Like, like if you were to paint a portrait of me, this is how you would do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. Um, Roy Hampton is sitting there armed with his bow and arrow night vision goggles strapped up on his forehead and graph stability harness, like strapped around his chest and waist. And yeah, uh, he's, he's reacquired all of his stuff and he kind of just like looks at you as if in defiance. <laughs> I look at him and I go back to talking to Pete about what just happened. Uh, we all get one experience as I have openly defied an authority. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, we will end this session. <laughs> right under the wire. <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is affiliated with and specifically approved by Tommy Cotton. Manifest, the RPG, is property of Tommy Cotton. All rights reserved. For more information, go to www.manifesttherpg.com.